This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Presents the G1 Cast with Justin Nipper and Carlos Twell. Yours. Hey, it's Justin. We're back. G1 Cast, full effect, presented by FightGameMedia.com. We're here for you with daily coverage of New Japan's G1 Climax 30. Day 11 is in the books. We did it. Another one. One more to go tonight. Today was the second night of A-block action from Hiroshima. If you haven't seen anything yet, maybe tonight do that. Just get Carlos edit on the show if you have like 10 minutes to spare. Shingo Takagi and Kota Ibushi. Watch it when you can. Watch it when you can, and then we'll discuss. Okay, let me run down the um, the card from today. Quick results. Yotosuji defeated Yuya, uh, Yuya Uemura with Boston Crab. Be surprised. Tomohiro Ishii defeated the Tokyo Pimps. We have a little stat on the Tokyo Pimps, Yujiro Takahashi, coming up in a little bit, so check out that soon. Kazuchika Okada defeated Jeff Cobb. Will Ospreay defeated Minoru Suzuki with a Stormbreaker. Jay White defeated Taichi. I really like this match. I can't believe I'm saying that, and I'm not saying about other matches on this card. Jay White defeated Taichi. Hell of a match. And Shingo Takagi defeated Kota Ibushi in the main event. We're going to get to that soon. But before, before that, you can find Carlos on Twitter. At Carlos Toro 360 and on the Carlos Toro Media Channel on YouTube. And I'm Justin M. Nipper, K N I P P E R on Twitter. And also, one quick announcement please don't forget, if you haven't already, to donate to Jim Valley's GoFundMe. Um, you can find the links in today's show notes and yesterday's show notes. And I talked a little bit about that on the show on Monday, if you want details on that. So, that's it. Let's just keep rolling. Let's get to the show. We're back again. Day 11. A block again. Hiroshima Sun Plaza. Carlos, how you doing? Doing pretty good. Now we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the G1 Climax. Three shows in three days. Then tomorrow we're going to do another one. That is right. And we're not stopping until the end. That's for sure. <laughs> Can't stop uh, and stop. No way. Not until the end. Well, <laughs> at the end of the tournament, not in like life or something. So we started off unofficial C block right before we were recording, we were just talking about uh, Chris Sams's uh, recent stats. He, he threw up some stats on his website, sport about this unofficial C, C block between Gabriel kid and Yotosuji and Yuya Uyamura. And after looking at the numbers of how this has been booked so far, it's clear that 
it's clear to me that Suji is the top guy out of the three. That's how it's were to perceive it. But um, what I was surprised, I was telling colors about, was that uh, we've been talking about Gabriel Kidd so much on the show. And if you look at his win-loss record uh, over the past few weeks, he's definitely lost more than he's won. So I think that's an interesting fact. But uh, in the story part of all of this, I think we're starting to see more of where we're going after this G1 tournament. When you saw these stats, Carlos, what did you get from these? What did you think? It was funny. You know, I, I think if you look at all the matches, like not even taking into account, like looking at the numbers, but you could tell that Yutasuji was like the top guy between the three young lions. Like Yuyo Imura has really start to come around and really start to elevate himself a lot more with, with these last few wins and draws. But I think this is another instance where we've, we've spoken about this early in the show that wins and losses do mean something, but they're not everything. Like we talked about Gabriel Kidd so many times and he's only won two matches out of the seven that he's had here in the G1 tour. Really all of these guys have been really, really good. And I, I don't know if I would put way too much stock into all this because all these guys have beaten each other or, or have scored a draw against each other at some point in the G1. It's like, it's not even necessarily 50, 50 booking. It's just how they've been wrestling and what they've been able to add to the repertoire and how different each match has been. Yeah. I don't know how much more I can add to that other than basically when I saw Mr. Sam's stats, it didn't, it didn't feel like a surprise. It just kind of confirmed what we'd been seeing. It just kind of put it out there in a more crystallized way. And when I saw it, I go, oh, okay, that's why I'm feeling that way or thinking that way. You know, because when we're watching, I'm not, you do a little bit of quarterbacking, uh, football or football quarter, Monday, Monday, uh, what's the stupid Monday phrase? morning quarterbacking. Yeah, Monday morning qu- football quarterbacking. Yeah, I'm cool. Um uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Um, yeah, we when we're watching wrestling, we're we're do, doing some like quick math in our head, but we're not seriously crunching the numbers or numbers like Sam says. And when you see that, it confirms those feelings. But you don't need to see those stats necessarily. And like you said, wins and losses, in a sense, don't matter. But it's really tricky, the language we got to use for that. I mean, on a show as a product, wrestling needs wins and losses, but in the eyes of the fans and just enjoying simply, you don't necessarily need lots of wins to become a really popular wrestler, I don't think, because the Gabriel Kid is going to be a popular wrestler, whether you like him or dislike him or whether he loses all of his matches or wins all of his matches. Like, if he was winning all of his matches, I don't think he would be all that much more... Uh, popular or have that much more momentum. I don't think we're at that part of wrestling. Fans don't think like that as much anymore. Well, not most of them. And especially ones listening to the show, I don't think. Yeah. And the one thing about the young lions and you add into context is that young lions, you know, wins, losses matter even less with them because it's all about giving them exposure to the new Japan audience. And we are in an unprecedented time because you don't see young lions have this many, singles matches between each other in an instance where it's not the Young Lions Cup, where in that case, yes, of course we're going to see them, but the tournament is just dedicated to them. We're in the G1 Climax, but they're not doing eight-man tags. They're just wrestling each other. So this is kind of like an unofficial 
Young Lions Cup in Japan. Just instead of like eight guys, it's only between three. That and the, it has that uh, G1 rub. It gets the little prestige of being the lead in to the biggest tournament of the year. So I, I'm really curious to, as uh, if they're going to do it next year or if they're going to do uh, its own New Japan Cup or, or I don't know what the format, but I like this. This is cool. You could take three, maybe f- you could do four, I guess, too, four guys if they needed to and uh, add that to five block matches. And I think it's a recipe for an almost always solid card. And man, we've been watching a lot of wrestling the past couple weeks. And especially this week, we've, this is a third show out of four in a row. And it's easy to get jaded after that much wrestling. And especially if we were probably dealing with a card last year, we're going through tag matches, going through some house card or house show matches on the card that might tire you out, but I, I'm feeling pretty good so far. You still in? You still hanging in there, Carlos? With the uh, you're not jaded yet? No, no. I, I you know honestly, when you asked me to do this podcast, I thought that right around this time it was starting to get a little bit jaded, especially looking at the schedule. But I'm still relatively fresh, all things considered. Yeah, I think me too. I, I kind of had the same feeling too. I midway through could get brutal, but I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I mean, hey, it's a weird time, uh, and they're delivering so. Hey, who knows what the psychotherapists out there, uh, they can read us symptomatically and see what's going on. I don't know the answer. That's for them. And for you guys, A block action, match number two on this card in Hiroshima. Tomohiro Ishii defeated Yujiro Takahashi, Tokyo Pimps. And I think. By the way, before, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I. Oh, no, no. uh, I don't think we ever actually discussed the actual match, uh, the the Young Lions, but yeah, Yoda Suji beat Gabe Oh, excuse me, yeah. Yeah, it was just super quick, seven minutes. It was like a continuation to their draw where both guys beat each other after the 15 minutes were up a few days ago, and then they just started beating the holy hell out of each other. And it was, there was really not much to this night. It was just like a street fight almost. And Yoda Suji once again beat Gabriel Kidd with a Boston Crab, but it was like not a line tamer, but he just cinched in that the, the Boston Crab real, real deep. But short match, uh, very little actual wrestling and more of a fight. But yeah, not, not much to draw from here per se. One, okay, that reminds me. Thanks for, okay, the last part, the Boston Crab spot. I might be overthinking this and we've watched a lot of wrestling this week, but did you get a feeling that that was a kind of, it gave you the same vibe that the Tanahashi Kenta match gave you last night with the Texas Cloverhold where uh, Tanahashi locked it in. And the only way he got the tap was when he really cinched it in. And I thought that was kind of a mirror of what Tsuji did today with the Boston Crab. He couldn't get the pin unless he really clearly cinched it in, sat into it, let it belted out a cry and then, uh, got the tap. Did am yeah, I thinking? Uh, am I overthinking it or not? No, not really. Because because when you now add into the context that the two wins Yuya Uemura has over Gabriel Okay was not from the Boston Crab, but when he had like the pseudo line tamer, when he really drove the knee like deep at, at the top of Gabriel Kid's back, like that's when he, he tapped out. So that could be something. That could be a story where you need a stronger version of the Boston Crab to really be Gabriel Kid, but. At the end of the day, Gabriel Kidd's still losing to Boston Crabs, so that's got to be something like, you know, if we're kind of buying into the, the kayfabe of everything, that's something that really has to weigh in on Gabriel Kidd's mind. And 
Uh, one nice, one really nice little highlight after the match was Gabriel Kidd was really disappointed. And then he looked at Jushin Thunder Liger, who was on commentary, and he like apologized to Liger and bowed. And and I love that Liger just gave him prompt saying like, at a good match, get, you know, just get the next one. I thought that was a really nice moment. I think you see that a lot in a lot of um, a lot of sports in Japan, actually. I, I, rem- I was watching a little bit of the Raijin show on I think it was from this past Saturday in Japan. They posted some MMA company from Saitama from Tokyo. And they had there's more of a kickboxing vibe recently. I just see tension a lot. So that's why I get that vibe. But anyway, a guy lost and he was walking back to the entrance and he was clearly saying to fans, uh, I'm sorry. And excuse me, I'm so sorry. Cause he lost. So I think you see that a lot. And I think kid is doing the Japanese style. I mean, he, he's uh, kind of apologizing for losing. He'll, he'll do better next time. You see that in so many uh, sports in Japan. I think it's really common like behavior or like manners. So, and it, it is really nice to see. It's just uh, Japan has always stuck with that, stuck with that feeling. So, He's really adapted to this style. Like we've said it a lot, but he does. We say young lion, but this this dude doesn't feel like a young lion. This dude feels like he's ready for a big run. Yeah. And okay, so rewind, fast forward, <laughs> back to a block. I, I got a little hasty, but I did want to share the stat from the Ishi. Yujiro match that you shared with me. This is the first real kind of definitive statistic. Carlos, do you want to share with everyone what we found out? There's one new bit of info out of this match. So Ishii won with the vertical drop brain buster in a fine match, but the stat is... Yujiro Takahashi is officially out of the G1 Climax, or at least he's mathematically out of the A block running at 0-6, there was no way he was going to win. There was no way he was going to win the A block. But the fact that he lost every single match in the tournament, and now this just officially officially clinches his elimination. He is the first man to be eliminated mathematically from the G1 Climax. Of course, he's still going to be wrestling uh, the rest of the tour, but, he's, but he, at this point, he's just going to be wrestling for pride and maybe spoilers. But now the next man up in the A block is Jeff Cobb. So if he loses any of his next matches, he would also be mathematically eliminated from the A block. And after that, it's a four-way tie between Shingo Takagi, Taichi, Tomohiro and Minoru Suzuki, who would need to lose two matches to be mathematically eliminated from the tournament. So it's getting pretty tight in the A block. So it's really kind of hard. I mean, I'm trying to think of those, what, maybe six names that you just threw out. It's like everyone technically you could easily, if you spend 30 seconds to a minute on each guy, you could imagine them winning the whole thing. But, uh, well, aside from Yujiro, <laughs> aside from Yujiro, and probably not somebody like Shingo Takagi, although uh, we'll get to him later. But, um, well, okay, so as far as this match, is there anything else other than the stat that we got? So Yujiro's out. X, big X through his name. He's out for this one. But um, the match itself was good. I, I would compare it to the same level of quality as Yujiro's match with Shingo Takagi. I think it was earlier this week. Um, it wasn't the same style, but it was the same vibe. It was just good wrestling. And yeah. ta- uh, yeah. not Takagi, Ishii could, he was really Ishii in this. If you like Ishii, you would enjoy this. 
Yeah, there was a lot of a lot more selling on Ishii's part than I probably would have expected. It's and it was a 15 and a half minute match. You know, it was there was nothing, no like real high point of this match. It was like both of these guys were just kind of beating the hell out of each other. Takahashi just getting the jump on Ishii from the start of the match. And Ishii really, really was selling the I think it was the right wrist or the right arm. Like throughout the match, that was he like that was more or less the story where he was just constantly selling the right arm and just like it almost looked it and this is how good Ishii is, but it made me believe that he was legitimately hurt in that match. That he maybe like he he landed awkwardly or something and just had was dealing with a little stinger in, in his right arm or or something, but I mean I wouldn't doubt that this was just how good of a seller Ishii is. It made Yujiro look a lot stronger than he often does in matches with different opponents. Ishii's a master. Yep. This is why, why, this is why a couple of days ago I said Ishii is one of the five best wrestlers uh, in the planet right now. And I've said that for the last few years. I might even go as far as saying maybe top three wrestlers on the planet right now. But let's can, give it till the, at least the end of the G1. Yeah, I mean, you can make that case. You, you, in fact, hell, you could have ma- been making that case since 2016, 2015, and I don't think you'd be wrong uh, or necessarily, you know, that out of the box in saying that. And I think the big difference is with those years, the conversation was clearly on, at least in Japan, the conversation was clearly on Okada and Kenny Omega, and they've really kind of stepped out of the picture for now. So, I mean, those slots, there's a vacuum. If in our in our minds in our fans' minds, and I think Ishii hasn't only he hasn't not changed. He's gotten you could say he's gotten better, or as the quality has gone up. I mean, God, I, I'm I'm thinking of his match with Desperado from earlier this year. It was at the studio. It was kind of when they started doing new shows again. That killed. That was awesome too. It's just everywhere he goes. If he's in a singles match, he delivers. He's the guy. You can put him in any situation, and he'll figure it out. And it makes it work it's magic it's amazing all right let's take a quick break from the g1 cast with justin nipper and carlos toro and let's talk about doordash so one of the things that's pretty interesting is uh my wife and i and the stepkids we're going to be moving and one of the things i thought we actually both thought about moving was like where are we gonna eat like what's the local restaurant you know when you move from city to city or you know we're only moving a good 15 miles uh, up north or so but still you go immediately you think okay well where's the store where's the grocery store where where are the restaurants and uh then i thought well we'll we'll learn them because we have doordash we're going to be able to search for a certain kind of food or a certain kind of restaurant. DoorDash will pull it up. We'll learn all of the local restaurants in our new neighborhood. And that's the, that, that's really a key. You know, I use the word clutch with DoorDash a lot. You know, when you have so many choices and DoorDash can filter them down to a certain, uh, you know, vicinity of, of restaurants and, and can help you choose DoorDash is definitely the way to go. So um, 
going to be very interested to use DoorDash when we actually do move in, in a few weeks here. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code, code BLUEWIRE. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order just by downloading the DoorDash app and using it with the enter with the uh, code of blue wire so don't forget that's blue wire for five dollars off your first order with doordash let's get back to carlos and justin all right on to the next match next match this is a little magic too almost it was a short but really good match because you go cut a defeat of jeff cobb jeff cod's on the come up now carlos you said cobb technically is on the uh on the tightrope the proverbial tightrope here because he could be eliminated, but he's won two huge matches over the past two A block shows. Yeah. Uh, he's technically in ninth place in, in the A block, which like on paper, it doesn't sound good, but he's two and four, but like a lot of his losses were really competitive, really, really good. Like there was no point. Like it's one of those cases where, Take the take the win-loss record out of the equation. If you look at how he wrestles, you could not you would not believe that he's lost four of the of the six matches he's had in the G1. That's how good Jeff Cobb has been. And there's been a little bit of a, a story, an overarching story throughout the match that actually extends even past the main event uh, on this show. So Cobb was kind of just taunting Okada a little bit. And he tried to do the the Rainmaker stance and everything. It even kind of did like a, a Rainmaker-esque into a tour of the islands. And Okada was able to escape out of that. And he gets the win with another, what, what do we call it like last yeah. time? It was like a SummerSlam 90-something, the one with the Bret Hart and British Bulldog. Where, 92, Wembley yeah, Stadium. Where, yeah, where Okada just kind of grabbed hold of, uh, of Jeff Cobb's legs and just pinned them right there in the ring. So it's now gotten to the point where Okada's now won his last couple of matches, not with the money clip, not with the Rainmaker, but this like basic pin, basically, basically like cradle. And, and we'll get into that and we'll get into the main event because Shingo Takagi says something really, really interesting that actually makes reference to the fact that Okada has not, used the Rainmaker has not won with the Rainmaker, if I recall correctly, at any point throughout this G1. And that was like such his his bread and butter for so many years. Then he tries to go into a more submission-oriented offense, and he's seemingly almost abandoning that as well. That's really weird. No rain over the summers. Does that mean... I mean, he's the Rainmaker, but he hasn't made it rain. We've seen no rain. We've seen only clips Money clips. And it's weird because you look at the G1, and this is another instance where, like, like in the same vein where you look at Jeff Cobb wrestle and you wouldn't believe that it's two and four, it almost seems to me that, like, you take out the win-loss record and you see Okada wrestle, you wouldn't believe that he's four and two and tied for first in the A block. Like, this feels like a somewhat uncharacteristic uh, type of – Okada throughout the summer, really. Like, he hasn't been like the, you know, what I, who I believe is the best wrestler in the world and has been for the last few years. It just, 
I don't know. I look at O'Connor's like he's kind of pedestrian. There's something that feels like everything. Like you said, he's got a winning record. Cobb has a losing record, but Okada's lost most of his matches. I'm sorry, he's won most of his matches, kind of by the skin of his teeth style. Like this, I, I'm we're doing. I'm doing a bad job myself of like describing what this move is. It is kind of like the the Brett um, British Bulldog finish, but there was kind of a slam involved too. Kind of sunset flip. It was Alabama slam thing i don't know i'll have the the announcers figure it out and they can tell us hopefully down the road in the next couple of days but he and, and it's funny because they don't new japan doesn't even have a name or at least on his website because if you look at you know the results paid for new japan's english site it just says okada won by pinfall yeah so let's just chalk it up to that for now i mean it it might be he might be doing variations on that kind of pin but i think the story in general is that He's just getting, he's eking out these wins. Whereas Jeff Cobb, if you connect his storylines from New Japan Strong, he's been, he loses when he either, he gets screwed in by one of the, the heels like Kenta or, or somebody outside the, like um, whomever is, whomever he's wrestling, if the dick toe goes outside of the evil and yada, yada, that kind of thing. I don't think they're in the same block, but just for the point, the sake of the point, he looks powerful. Okada looks like he's not a champion. It looks like he's clever enough to get out of situations where he's in trouble. And last night it was a great quick match that really felt like for at least five minutes that a, that Okada was in trouble and that the stakes were low enough where fans would believe Cobb could pull it off because, hey, he just beat Jay White a couple nights ago. Why couldn't he beat an Okada on the uh, on the uh, on the slide? It's kind of like if you ever watch tennis, like you watch Wimbledon or U.S. Open and you see Roger Federer one year just gets knocked out in the second round by somebody who's never been in the tournament before. That happens sometimes like great, uh, great athletes have off days or off seasons. And this could be a story where Okada is having another off season. It's like he's having another balloons season. If you remember that a couple of years ago, uh, where he was just carrying balloons around and smiling and he wore red pants. Maybe it's a version of that. I don't know, but we'll have to see. But Cobb looked great. Okada looked great. This was a great short match. And Okada moves on. And now he has six or eight points. Uh, Okada has eight points now. Eight points. Yeah, that's it's weird because a lot of other guys in the eight block have eight points too, but I feel like they've won more, but they haven't. So it's very interesting, uh, the booking choices and the effects they have on how we perceive it. Okay, after that match was a break, and we came back and had Will Ospreay defeat Minoru Suzuki in a very interesting match. What was your take on this unique unique match you know i don't know if i would go as far as call it unique but i thought it was like a simple story where osprey and suzuki were going at it real hard back and forth and suzuki would just keep working on 
Osprey's right arm, like throughout the entire match, it's locking in like Kimura locks outside of the ring, like Zuki going to the top rope when Osprey did and did like a standing Kimura lock, which I thought was really, really fun. And it was like traditional, like baby phase getting a, a part of his body getting worked on and not able to fully lock in his, his finishing move because of that. And then eventually hits the Stormbreaker and gets the win. Like, this is a really, really good match. And the execution of, like, the simplicity of the storyline was what really put it over. Because Suzuki is so good at not just his facial, facial expressions, but the way he makes the moves look so believable and look like they hurt a lot. And... Suzuki, in addition, in addition to that, he just kept chopping at Osprey's chest and like could have sworn like Osprey's chest was like bleeding or or it looked like it was gonna it was bleeding uh late into the map, which one I think it did great for Osprey and one making him believable as a heavyweight that can take a ton of damage from someone like Suzuki. And two, just getting the win over Suzuki, who hasn't looked that bad in the G1. Like, I think that's pretty notable in and of itself. And now he's tied for first with eight points like Okada did. So really, really like this match. It was not, it, it wasn't that long. Hell, it was shorter than the Ishii versus Takahashi match, but it was a nice little match that had a, a good story that was executed about as well as one could between these two guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty short too. And what I thought was the most unique part of it was that I felt like Osprey didn't have much on offense in this. This was most, I felt like it was mostly Suzuki torturing him until Osprey was able to break out the Stormbreaker, which has been put over like it's the new Rainmaker. I don't think it's one of those moves where if you see it executed in the match, that person will be pinned. That That's how protected that move is. So, um, it was it was really cool. I liked the story, but the one I, it's not a problem I have with Osprey. I guess the issue is I don't know if he has decided on his his character, like who he is or who he's going to be in New Japan. Because sometimes he's carrying himself like he's really cocky and arrogant, like half heel, half, like kind of Kento Miyahara style, like kind of a heel but not really. But then he's going into a match and he's selling and he's almost like to a point of camp where it's it's almost too much and. If somebody is first, you know, arrogant and cocky and then is selling a lot and then they're hurt all the time, I think that kind of confuses fans because they don't like, are they supposed to feel a lot of sympathy for them? Like, what are they basing that cheer on right there in the moment? It's just kind of a hodgepodge of facial expressions, whereas compared to Suzuki, he's not doing a hodgepodge of facial expressions. He's just living in that moment. He's clearly saying with his eyes, I will kill you. And he doesn't seem to speak any language. Uh, that's why I think he's so popular internationally. Uh, and speaking of language, he spoke quite a bit of English in this match. It was pretty audible on, on the microphones. I remember him uh, hitting Osprey in the corner really hard and saying, come on, boy, which added a great element, great little yeah, layer I, of I drama to it. I thought that was a really, really nice touch by Suzuki. Like Suzuki's so great at being a heel and just being able to just do the simple things so well that it makes the the eventual comeuppance like that much more sweeter. Mm. He he always um, adjusts his himself and his attitude in the ring 
to what the moment needs. That's why he can go out and have a match outside in the rain and it could be a great match. That's why he can wrestle a high flyer or somebody that's like Osprey and put his own stamp on it without having to compromise what he does, who he is and what he's going to do in the ring. So I think he's one of the best because he's teaching everyone what we can do with wrestling in the future. Like, like like what you said about um it was that spot early on where he I think Osprey came at uh Suzuki with a flying forearm uh or something like and he changed he switched it into a Kimura lock and he hung on the ropes or something. I, I might be mixing two spots, but it was late last night, but it was cool, it was clever, and it was he thought about it before we did. He thought about it before we saw it, and I think that's a huge key of like what makes us say that's a great match is that the match is not necessarily planned out or things are planned in advance. It's just those wrestlers are craftsmen and craftswomen. They know what they're doing and they need to switch or divert our expectations, not repeat the same patterns over and over. You see that lot with Suzuki and it, it can be, you can go the Osprey route, do really athletic, spectacular stuff where you can do the Suzuki thing where you just become a fighter. He is a fighter and that's what comes through in the ring, whether it's pro wrestling or whether it's something else. And I digress. I'm running out of breath. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Okay. Next match. So for me, these, these two matches, the next two matches on this were two of my favorites of the three days so far. But I feel like I say that on every podcast. how did you feel about this Jade? Jay White versus Tai Chi match. So Jay White defeated Tai Chi in a heel versus heel match. Although Tai Chi kind of felt a little baby face here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the same. A uh, similar case to a God, I'm forgetting. There was another heel versus heel match. I think also involving Tai Chi. I think it was Tai Chi versus Minoru Suzuki where it yes. was kind of we're feeling the same thing. The like Tai Chi was like the de facto baby face, but doing a really good job at it. And I love the very beginning of this match. Actually, not even the beginning of the match, like right before. So Tai Chi, for those of you who maybe have, have not seen Tai Chi's entrance, he comes out and he starts singing as he walks to the ring. And when he does so, he sings a little bit more. But this time, when he gets into the ring, Jay White is sitting in the corner and Tai Chi just comes at Jay White and just starts serenading Jay White. And Jay White is just absolutely loving it and like asking for more. And I thought that was a really, really funny moment in this match, which is like, you know, it almost makes you forget that both of these guys are heels. But those, but, these, but that was like a really great moment. As for the match itself, it was. It was funny, like, like Tai Chi was getting a lot of the offense in the match where Jay White, aside from the usual, you know, ghetto interference, yada, 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 Jay White, almost from the very beginning, tried to go for the Blade Runner and he keeps failing time and time again. And like, you know, there was a lot of stalling early on. And then when the, the moment they really started to wrestle, Jay White immediately goes for Blade Runner and misses. And so it took Gato interfering on actually no it wasn't even ghetto interfering my mistake i'm thinking of another moment of the match but jy uh, but taichi was gonna go for i think it was a super kick or some type of kick and jy just counters it it is effortlessly transitions it into a blade runner and picks up the win the other 
not even a highlight, but it's kind of more of a low point because they just left me so confused was, I'm not sure you remember this moment of the match, Justin, but there was a moment where Gato was interfering and distracting Red Shoes and Taichi catches a kick from Jay White and Taichi was not doing anything illegal. He was just holding Jay White's right leg. And then Red Shoes, the referee, looks at Taichi and just tells him to knock it off for no reason whatsoever. My presumption is that he thought that Taichi was going to hit a low blow on Jay White, but he was he was not even in a kicking motion. He was just holding his leg. And I found that really, really funny considering that early on in the match, Tai Chi was choking Jay White with the mic cord. And then right when Tai Chi was not even going to do anything illegal, then the referee decides to step in. So I remember that uh, that spot in a like a, a bigger context of just a lot. There was a lot going on. So I, like, I remember that, but when you describe it like that, that makes, I mean, it makes sense. I didn't notice that because I was just kind of, you know, Whoa, what's going on? But that's right. And I think, cause I've seen this kind of thing happen before in new Japan and of course other promotions too. And I think it goes back to working and use like overusing patterns. I mean, red shoes reacted that way because like out of like repetition, he, like he's done it so many times and he didn't apply his brain to what was going on right in that moment where if Taichi is just holding someone's leg, there's no reason for a referee to scold him. And while earlier in the match, it's totally fine to just use a microphone stand and choke him outside the ring uh, while he, I guess, cause it's outside the ring. I don't know the logic. It's not about, it's not even as much as the logic being flawed as the logic is forgotten about because these people are in the moment spitting patterns when that moment doesn't need a pattern. That moment needs a referee to make a quick decision and improvise. And like, if somebody's, if I, if I'm a referee and I see someone, uh, an opponent holding another opponent's leg, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's ever been a written rule saying that's illegal in any way. It made, I think of course, like what we were saying is they thought it was going, he was going to do a low blow or he was doing something uh, illegal or against the rules. And, and like he said, again, why does that matter? But earlier on in the match, it doesn't matter. And you, don't, being, and yeah. you don't, you know, penalize in sports, you don't penalize someone for what they might do. You penalize someone for what they did. Yeah. And if you did penalize somebody for what they might do, that'd be a huge lawsuit in real life. You can't do that. You can't, you can't just assume, I mean, technically if this is, if this we're pretending like everything is by the books real and everything is, I don't want to say real sport. That seems like a cop up, but just for the sake of this conversation, real sport. Um, it's like, just follow what's going on. Follow, like, be there in the moment and, and avoid the patterns because I know we're being fussy and nitpicky about it, but I don't think it's that hard to do. Just got to kind of snap out of it and say, okay, what's going on? How can we make this more real or more authentic? I think Jay White is really, really good at that. I think he makes it so he's seamless with those little, I mean, it's a huge part of his act, right? He's, he's a bad guy and he cheats a lot and he interferes and he drags Gato into the ring and he uses weapons 
but he does it s- seamlessly enough to where like I I didn't pay attention to that catch that you caught where, about Taichi. He's going at a pace where I, there's something happening on the left side, there's something happening in the ring, and he's happens where you don't have to think about it too much. So, yeah. but overall, the match itself was really, really good. And yeah, Taichi, all that said, yeah, yeah, Tai Chi can function very well as the baby face type of guy in a situation where it's going up against like a Jay White type of character. And, and again, Tai Chi was doing a lot of the offense, like Jay White. It almost felt like this was an instance where Jay White was just getting hit with tons of strikes left and right, and all Jay White can muster up is attempting to do the blade runner because he does it like three or four times throughout the match and fails until he actually gets it like almost out of nowhere. I like that approach too, because it complements the, the care, his character style is kind of the, I don't know exactly what Switchblade is as a character. I think we're all kind of figuring it out him too over the past couple of years, but there's something kind of like rambling, a little psychotic and that psychotic, uh, obsession with just landing a blade runner fits that character to me it's kind of it's like oh yeah that jay white switchblade he he would do that he would only want the blade runner he's he's so razor focused or yada yada um but yeah and it really allowed tai chi to show off his i guess what you would call baby face charisma because he was really charismatic last night although he didn't feel like he changed his character at all i think he was just leaning into the moment i think and the crowd was into it too and by the end of it he was hulking up like this this isn't a heel this guy's this guy's baby face i think so i'm very interested to see what happens going forward with taichi and i don't know if it would be wiser not to keep him with suzuki gun for too long because hey I, he's given out these performances that i've, I've never seen him like this or I've never appreciated them like this. So, don't know. But that was great. Another great Tai Chi match, another great Jay White match. All right, NBA Finals, kind of right in smack dab in, in the middle of it. Major League Baseball playoffs in the divisional round. We have the NFL. Heading into week five, perfect opportunity to jump on Bet Online to get in on all of the great bonuses, the great props, all of the betting that you can do from game spreads and totals to to all the different props, like I mentioned. Um, and just, you know, it's, it's got to be like the, the better's dream right now with all of the things that they can bet on. And, and I imagine if you, if you are paying super close attention to stuff, uh, you know, you, you, if, you, if you lose here or you lose there, you got another thing going on because there's, you know, there's so much stuff going on. And if you are in the winner's chair, it's probably a, a good time to kind of uh, get on a roll there with your bets. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all in one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And uh, finally, main event. Where do you rank this one? Shingo Takagi defeated Kota Ibushi in the main event. So I guess not of the whole tournament. I think that'd be 
too much for now, but of the past three shows, where do you rank this match, Carlos? Oh, this is easily the best match that we've had this week. And it took us three days this week and 18 matches to get to a point where I can finally say this is a match that will end up being one of the best in the entire tournament. This match was absolutely fantastic. Like, if you only got 10 minutes of your day to watch the G1 show today, watch the last 10 minutes of this match because it was absolutely fantastic and maybe did elevate Shingo Takagi in a way that probably no other 10 minute span in this entire tournament has been able to do not even the win over Will Ospreay. I, in my opinion, I think Shingo Takagi beating Kota Ibushi in the way that he did was more impactful than him getting the revenge win over Will Ospreay earlier in the, in the G1. I agree with that. Uh, the, the, I, I rewatched it right before we started and it does, it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it kind of doesn't too. It feels like, well, that's it. So, okay. So let's rewind a bit. So the, the last like 30 seconds are pretty, it's, it's hot. There's a lot of action going on. Ibushi by the end of it, he's, he calls for the Kamagoye. He does a gesture, the breaking gesture. He grabs both of Takagi's wrists. He throws it, but Takagi, kind of eats it and holds his knee. He kind of, it's not a block, but it didn't put him down. And from there, he tossed Ibushi up onto his shoulders and hit last of the dragon for an emphatic and pretty quick finish. It wasn't a, like, there was no uh, 2.99 kind of uh, false finish action in this. It was when that move landed, the match was very over. And Ibushi sold like he had died. I would I, and I would say that did a two point nine nine thing. There were a couple of moments like it almost felt like it was building up. Like Chingo Takai was getting closer and closer towards getting that win. Like five minutes before the finish, uh, Takagi goes for uh, Made in Japan, and it was like a two point eight count. And then t- like a minute later, Ibushi is just like dazed and confused. Like he staggered in the center of the ring and. Shingo goes for not one, but two pumping bombers. And I thought that might have actually won the match because Ibushi sold it like it was like a 2.9 count, not 2.99, but just like 2.90. And it was a really, really good sequence where Shingo Takagi proved that he can beat the upper echelon of New Japan wrestlers. He can take a ton of punishment. And he doesn't he it, he doesn't even look like he's out of it. Like this is a really, really good match. Both these guys, like, and I said this on yesterday's show. I thought this match was going to be fantastic. I thought like they were going to give them twenty five minutes to give us like one of the better matches of the tournament. They went just just shy of twenty two minutes, but God, this this match was fantastic. Yeah, and you know the way it was going, I kind of had the feeling it would go. Uh, it's kind of the way of some of Naito's matches have been going. They've been going like almost like 27 minutes, but when the finish, when that happened, it just came. Did Okay, so to you, did it come out of nowhere or did it feel like a, like a proper finish? Because I've, I've heard some people say, oh, it was anticlimactic because it came out of nowhere. But I, I feel like you where I was kind of like, oh, that's Last of the Dragon. That's his finish. And 
And it was a great counter to the Kamagoya, which is a setup to another great story down the road. But yeah, for the finish specifically, do you think it was anticlimactic at all? No, not at all. Not at all. I think like if you look at like is everything from, you know, the context of the match, it makes sense. It just I think it. a lot of people think it's like come out of nowhere because we all I think a lot of us expected Kota Ibuchi to win. And then a lot of it, when we, when we did when we saw you know the referee's hand hit the mat for the third count, like you, you just kind of leave yourself. Wait a minute, what? Kotobushi lost? Like in a sense where you were expecting him to kick out? Is I don't think it, the problem was the finish came out of nowhere. I think it was the expectancy of Kotobushi kicking out of it. Those little details really made this match. And if you're so Carlos and I, we write about wrestling and we write about like MMA and boxing. So we're we're focused on details more than a lot of people listening, just because that's what we have to do. And if you're a stickler for I'm I'm weird, I'm an editor, too, and I'm a stickler for details. I'm always I just end up looking for them like a nerd. And in this match, I'm looking for all the details and Boy, it's really rewarding. These guys really reward the people who pay attention to those details. Every little cell, there's like a half cell before a full cell. I'm looking at Takagi kind of sell his wrist before he does a move to someone else using his arm. Those little, little, uh, little set, nuances, they add so much to the match. And Ibushi has been great at that too. He's, uh, He's really developed into a different wrestler compared with the last couple of years. He is becoming a god, indeed. Yep. And the one thing that I do have to mention, I kind of teased this earlier in the show, but when we look at what happens next for Shingo, his next match is against Okada. And you look at everything that we talked about Okada, not using the Rainmaker, Almost seemingly abandoning the Bunny Club because he hasn't won with that in the last couple of matches. Shingo has cuts a promo, and and I'm quoting Chris Charlton, who translated part of what Shingo Takagi said in the post-match promo when he was addressing the crowd. He said, quote, Okada, your back's all tape. What's up? You hurt? Big deal. That's the business. I haven't wrestled a man not hurt since my debut. That's a wrestler's life. You not using the Rainmaker, are you taking the piss? Or are you trying to elevate your game? I don't care. So it is something with Okada not not taking the not doing using the Rainmaker. Because there because if it wasn't part of a storyline, Shingo wouldn't have addressed the, the lack of the Rainmaker, but he's seeing what all of us are seeing. And we are seeing an unconventional Okada, and we're kind of like and like Shingo, we're kind of wondering, like, well, is he hurt or what's up with him? Because this is like so not the Okada that we're used to seeing in past G1s or just in New Japan in general. So I love the the little promo and what Shingo said, because it does kind of now make me want to tune in even more to their eventual match, I believe, on Saturday, where are we going to see the old Okada back? Because he also is not wrestling like 25, 28 minute classics. Hell, his match against Jeff Cobb was barely 12 minutes. So that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, and the other sub-story is, will we see the old Okada? And will we even see a Rainmaker in the G1 this year? We haven't so far, so 
I don't know. And I, I didn't notice that. And thanks for bringing that up. Cause that is a good point that single, this is clearly a part of the story going forward is Okada's rainmakerless G1 season. Um, and you know what? I don't know what kind of match they're going to have because Okada is usually the guy who adapts to someone else's style, I feel like. But Shingo Takagi does the same kind of thing. So I don't know if it's going to be a fast paced or slow paced match or I don't know. We'll have to see. So we'll see this weekend. Um, but I do have so, to say, hold on. Before we're going to wrap it up and just do a quick preview of tomorrow's show. We got to talk about this whole mess at the top of the A block because. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't think anyone's noticed, but like the standings after six matches, they are the following. In first place, or I should say tied for first place, are Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, Jay White, and Will Ospreay, all with a 4-2 record with eight points. And for those of you who are curious, what about the next wrestlers? That's also a four-way tie between Ishii, Shingo, Suzuki, and Taichi, all at six points with a 3-3 three three record. But look at like the... Mental gymnastics, one has to do to just quantify what the hell are going to be the tiebreakers for the G1 at the top of the A block. Because Jay White, he beat Okada and he beat Ibushi. Will Ospreay, he beat Jay White. But Kota Ibushi beat Okada and he beat Will Ospreay. And Okada, he he didn't beat, he hasn't beat anybody at the top of the A block. So now, like, take out Okada out of the equation for a second. You have a triangle tie at first where each of these guys own a win over the other. The only match that is yet to happen is actually no, actually no. All of these matches have taken place. Like White, Ibushi, and Osprey have all wrestled each other, and they all are one and one against each other, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. To I don't know if there's a real way to break it down mathematically, but when I look at, I'm looking at these standings right now and we have one, two, three, we have six guys with eight points. To me, I feel like if we just take the math out of it and go, okay, who's really going to, who's going to, who are the two guys that are going to be in the finals most likely? And when I look at that, I love Shingo Takagi, but I'm going to cross him off. And with Okada, his story has kind of been cemented as he's not the Okada he was. So while he might score a couple important wins, maybe even over Takagi this weekend, I don't see him winning G1. But I'll uh, I'll eat crow if I have to. So hey, whatever. So I'll cr- but for this, I'll cross him off. Osprey as well. I don't. I mean, Osprey just came back in the eyes of a lot of fans. So if he Came to Japan, had a great showing in G1, but didn't win. That I would view as a big success anyway. Uh, if he won the G1, that's awesome. I don't expect it to happen this year, but I'm going to cross him off too. So when I look at it, I look at Kota Ibushi and Jay White one more time. That's just based on storyline, not based on any math. Because if I'm, I'm not a number. I, numbers and me, I'm words. I like words. So we keep it with the words and those words on the A block. I have Ibushi and White. I feel, feel, because that's what that's what writing is all based on, right? Feel, no logic. But yeah, that's what's up for the A block. So tomorrow night we have. Oh, do you have anything else that you want to? talk about for that messy a block uh, situation 
Um, I mean, the only thing would be that like Okada, the only way for Okada to win, at least mathematically, he would need to win all of his matches and Jay Ibushi and Osprey to lose at least one match out of the remaining three. So it's possible. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Again, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens this weekend to know more, but we're getting closer and closer, right? With each day from this week, we're getting a little closer to seeing the end of the road to seeing what those two Yogoku shows next week are going to look like. Um, so stay tuned. So to, we're going to do one more show for you. It's coming up in a couple hours. Day 12, B-Block action. Do you... Yes, I so do. I, I, yes, so it's going to take place at the Zip Arena in Okayama. So it's Yuya Omimura versus Gabriel Kidd. Uh, now we're going to see if Gabriel is going to lose a fifth time to a Boston Crab. We'll see about that. <laughs> uh, after that, it's Hiroki Goto versus Yoshihashi. Then Toriyano versus Zack Sabre Jr. Sonata versus Kenta. Juice Robinson versus Tetsuya Naito. And Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Evil. All in all, you you know, take it or uh, I, I, I'm okay. Like, if I only have to watch three matches, I'm pretty sure the last three matches of the show are going to be really, really good. And the first two matches are just going to be, eh, take it or leave it. Well, that's kind of the story of the B block, though, isn't it? Because I've been saying the same thing, too. And then we watch it and we kind of come away going, hey, that was pretty damn good. So I'm open to being surprised. I, you know what? You know what would really be a surprise because. With Zack Sabre Jr. picking up super quick wins and Toriano like always finishing matches super, super quickly. I just love it if Toriano and Zack Sabre Jr. just for no reason whatsoever go the full 30 minutes. Just be the first tournament match this year to go the 30 minutes. Just give us like an, <laughs> like a five-star classic. But Toriano what would they Sabre do Jr. for 30 minutes? <laughs> I mean, five minutes, okay, 10 minutes, sure, 15 minutes, we're pushing it. I mean, I don't know how many close 20 count-out calls we can do, but 30 minutes is quite a while for a Toriano match. I mean, maybe they just have a straight-up Greco-Roman wrestling match. You know, like, listen, Toriano has shown he can do that. He Like, he is a former collegiate wrestler. Like, That's right. His amateur wrestling skills are, like, nothing to scoff at. It just, we almost never see that, but... I don't know. The Toriano's smart enough to figure something out. We might see that, or we might see a thirty-second match. I don't know. We'll, one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. I'm I'm looking forward to the main event, Tanahashi versus Evil. I know on paper that's not. I, I don't know. I like these two guys together. And last year at the G1, it was one of like the the smaller like Nagoya shows. It wasn't a huge show, but I thought Tanahashi and Evil had one of the best matches of the tournament last year. Um, it's one of those matches where we were talking about, I think yesterday or the day before, we we're talking about Juice Robinson and that kind of like North American style pro wrestling where you're seeing less martial arts and like stances and following each other and more of uh, the what we've been seeing for the past 30, 40 years and rings in Japan and Mexico and USA, pure pro wrestling. And I think between Evil and Tanahashi, they carry that those torches that they they're continuing that continuum. Um, and I think these two will have a hell of a match tonight. I, I think if you're, I, I'm just guessing, but Tanahashi's on a tear right now. And he, I, I think compared with last year, last year he had a good year. Okay, fine. But this year, I don't know. Something's gotten into him. He he's 
jacked to hell. He's got his Tina Turner hair. I mean, he's ready. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that Tanahashi versus this new Darkness Club evil with Dick Togo. So do you have any predictions on that one? I, on the one hand, I want to see, I, I'm, I think evil's going to win it, but Tanahashi has looked really, really good. But then, you know, and if you look at past history, like Tanahashi doesn't do that well in G1s where he doesn't win it. So I don't know. I, I don't think you want to, you know, put evil in a really bad spot it with only a few matches left than G1. I think evil wins this one. I do too. I mean, it's hard to bet on a guy who lost the first match or one of his first matches to Toriano. So what I'm more curious about is what they're going to do with Tanahashi after all of this. Like who, I don't think he's going to win the G1 this year. I think that's a safe thing to say, but once he's out of this, I think that tag program with him and Ibushi is on ice for now. So I'm curious if we're going to see any like story developments coming in this week or next week uh, for Tanahashi. If you were to, I mean, we're in October and we're only a couple away, a couple months away from January 4th. And if you ask me, who do you think Tanahashi is going to face? I don't have a clue because because of the context of this year. Plus, before uh, they got back to wrestling, like we said, he was a tag wrestler. So I'm not sure. So I'm looking at this match with those eyes, too. Like, well, hey, what's going on with Tanahashi's uh, storyline for the yeah, rest and, of the year? And he, doesn't e- and he doesn't even have a win overnight to at least try to get some type of program. Hell, not even like not even like challenge for the heavyweight title, just like challenge for the Intercontinental title. He doesn't even have a, a win overnight to justify even a short title program. Yeah, so that's interesting. But on the other hand, it's, I mean, I completely agree why you'd hold out on watching this match because the stakes aren't as high as some of the other cards and matches from this week. But it's the last for a couple days. And after we do our show tomorrow and take a couple, we're going to do something special this week. But as far as the G1 goes, we are going to come back on Saturday with that, but we'll keep you posted. Don't worry about that. We'll be here tomorrow. And for Carlos, I'm Justin. Be here tomorrow. Day 13, 12. I'm losing track already. (laughs) Day 12. Day 12. See you tomorrow. Day 12.